Hello, friends, family, friends who are family, and anyone I don't know who may be listening. Um, this episode, I get a chance to talk to my old friend, Jen Couch. We went to university together at Trent, and uh, it's very interesting because she's actually been my listener all the way in Malaysia. Started getting um, analytic information about my podcast because, you know, I like data, but I was looking at it and... I have 4% of my listeners are in the States and uh, 7% of my listeners currently are in Malaysia and that's Jen. So she reached out, said she really likes the podcast and uh, then we made one. In our talk, we really get into her experiences as a teacher overseas, um, both, you know, in Mexico, which is not overseas at all. It's just, you know, south, south. Um, but she lived in a particular place where the cartel was seemingly always kind of drawn back to that city that she lived and taught in for 10 years. Um, and she's been teaching in Malaysia for three and she's currently stuck there right now, but you know, not really stuck yet. As you'll find out, we talk about the differences in education between Ontario and Mexico and Malaysia, the difference between public and private schools, um, and how distance learning is going right now for her. Um, she also talks about how proud she is of Malaysia as a country and how they handled with uh, COVID-19, the pandemic. They really nailed it. They had quite a few cases in a very high risk area and they reacted, I believe she said in a prior conversation that Malaysia um, ranks in the top five countries for how well they responded to COVID-19. Um, she sent me a YouTube, li uh, YouTube link that was just like full of examples of how they killed it. So it's definitely uh, a country to, to be modeled if you're looking for, you know, getting everyone on the same page and, and taking care of business. Um, Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you do too. So th thanks again, like always, for listening. Hey, Jen. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm finally talking to the person who's been listening to me in Malaysia. Yeah. So, like, can you tell everyone what you what you told me when you messaged me about uh, about the podcast? Um, sure. So I'm going to try to remind myself. So I think it was something like I have been listening to your podcast, and it was a good touch of home because right now I'm kind of stuck in Malaysia. So not technically, but big picture I'm kind of stuck here for the moment so it was really nice to hear Canadian accents which you don't realize you have until you leave Canada mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah so I have been here in Malaysia during this whole crazy COVID adventure that's wild because like I know it was insane here and I I I don't know how they classify Malaysia is it considered a less developed country I, I'm not sure it is. I actually just looked that up. It is considered a less developed country, but we are actually making headlines because of how we dealt with COVID. So I think we're in the top five of countries recovering from 
the virus. That's wild. And like, what a great trophy to get. Like, I got up. I got up really quick when I got knocked down. I get that trophy. Mm-hmm. So we had the most cases at one point, And I think now we're down to, we've been down to the single digits recently. So, what? yeah. And we are actually now in what they call the recovery phase. So life is kind of coming back to normal here. So what does that look like? Because we're, it feels like we're starting to get there, although I don't know that our numbers suggest we should be. Yeah. So what we do, like Malaysia, the reason we got here is because Malaysia is quite strict. So I remember talking to my parents and they were saying that they were in lockdown, but here we were actually in lockdown. So basically for 80 days, we did not leave our house. You could leave to go to the grocery store, but that's about it. And it was enforced by the police. So I think that that's why we were able to get to the phase that we are now. So basically you could leave, one person from the house could leave to go to the grocery store and that was it. No walking, no jogging, no parks. Um, If you had to leave, if you had to drive, you could go within 10 kilometers, but there were police checkpoints along the way. So it really deterred people from leaving. I guess it would, yeah. Yeah. Had you been stopped by anybody when you were out, like getting groceries or anything? Had anyone? No. So I, in my condo, I have a grocery store attached. So it was pretty easy. And I really kept it to like one, like when I had to go. I didn't go just because I wanted to get out of the house. I was keeping it to like the necessities. I have to go today. I'll go. That's, uh, that's something that I feel like I, I'm, I tell myself I did when it got real here, but like, I know I didn't, I know I still went out and got things I didn't really need. Yeah. And then as like, we're in the recovery phase now, everywhere you go, you get your temperature taken. So if I'm going to go to the grocery store, I get my temperature taken, a restaurant temperature back into my condo. I have to have my temp taken to get in. Um, And then Malaysia also has an app, so you have to sign into all these places. So if a case breaks out in the grocery store that you shopped at last week, then they'll contact you and let you know. So they're really trying to keep a hold on who was where and when, so that if there's another outbreak, they can contact people quickly. Yeah, contact tracing, it sounds really smart. Every country that got out ahead of contact tracing and figured out just a system for how they're going to do it, um, that seemed to like really impact numbers. Yeah. Is there any contact tracing being done with technology? Like, is is that happening? Yeah. So it's an app. So you open up the app and it's like a QR code. So you scan yourself into places with the QR code. Wow. And the QR code is linked to what? Your identity in some way? Yeah. So you have to sign up through the government. So in order to get the app, you have to sign up. And it's like within 24 hours, they approve you. So you have to put where you live. Um, sort of your stats, like your age, uh, your passport number. And then they, like, I'm right now labeled low risk because of where I live and my demographics. Wow. I, I'm just, I'm a little taken aback because that system is exactly what people here are fear-mongering about. And I still haven't really come to grips with where I would land on that whole situation. I, I know it would be cool to be able to be scanned into places and stuff, but I know there's a loss of uh, privacy that Canadians worry about in Canada, but I guess you don't necessarily have that luxury, do you? No. If you want to go places, you sort of just do it. And now Malaysia is a country with a bunch of 
really big cities? I'm There's so one one main city, which is Kuala Lumpur. Right. Um, and then there's like a lot of like little towns. They call it Kampong. Um, yeah. And even the, Kuala Lumpur is not a huge city, but for Malaysia it is. But it's a very diverse country. That's the thing about Malaysia. That's sort of what appeals to me is that like a Mal- Malaysia basically has three main cultures. So there's Malaysian Chinese, Malaysian Indian. And then Malaysian, which is Malays, which is basically the Muslim population. Okay. <clears throat> I know like a little bit about Malaysia because uh, Amanda, my wife, she's a zookeeper at the Toronto Zoo in the Indo-Malaysian pavilion area. Uh, okay. So orangutans. Orangutans uh, or orangutan, I believe mm-hmm. it's supposed to be pronounced. Yep. Um, and, you know, she's got this dream of like checking out Borneo and I know that you're not far away from Borneo no it's amazing so I've been to Borneo and it's yeah it's amazing okay so like what made you go overseas in the first place trying to get one of those teacher jobs I guess yeah so I did my undergrad at Trent and I was a Queen's Trent con editor so after teachers after undergrad I went to Queen's and Queen's hosts the Canadian job fair, basically. So anybody wanting to go overseas, January, February, they have a job fair where the schools come and recruit people to go overseas. Okay. I did not go to that job fair. Uh, Part of the Queen's placement process is that one of your placements you teach abroad, or sorry, it's an alternative practicum. So you can do basically anything you want as long as you can link it back to teaching. Correct. So I went to Puerto Vallarta and did my one month practicum there. And so when I came back in April, I really wanted a job abroad, but that's basically hiring seasons over in the international world. So if you're gonna get an international job, you're looking like September of the previous of the yeah the previous school year Gotta so be people yeah people start recruiting early and it seems to be getting earlier and earlier so i basically went to the person that organizes the queen's job fair and said i want to go abroad do you have any openings and the thing about international teaching is that there's often last minute openings so it could be like the numbers in the school shift People get cold feet and they don't want to go abroad. Things happen with families and they have to stay back. So you can normally get a last minute opening if you're flexible and where you want to go. So I applied to a job in Monterrey, Mexico, which is in northern Mexico. And I got the job. So I got hired in June and I moved to Mexico in July, the end of July. And I stayed at that and I stayed at that school for 10 years. That's and a long time. That's a really it, long time to be in one school anywhere, let alone it, in a foreign country. Exactly. And then I thought for like a hot minute that I was going to move back to Canada. So I was basically, I told the school in Mexico I was leaving. I had started moving things back to Canada. I was going to teach in Canada. I was going to try it. And then I quickly learned that it wasn't much different than when I left 10 years ago in terms of getting a job. There's not a lot of teaching jobs. You have to be a sub. There's a whole process of becoming a classroom teacher, and it's a long process. So last minute, one of my friends hooked me up with the job in Malaysia, and I interviewed, and now I'm here. And I just finished my third year here. 
So how, how does the teaching in Malaysia compare to teaching in Mexico? Very, very different in terms, like I think in any international experiences, they're very different. So my school in Mexico, I taught mostly Mexican children that were probably wealthy. They were wealthy. Okay. Where here, I teach expat kids for the most part. I teach a couple of Malay students, but my school here is people that are here for jobs and they send their school to a school, they send their kids to this school. Um, so it's an international school and it's also a PYP school. So a PYP school is like an inquiry based school. So the PYP is big in the international world. It's like a type of curriculum. So it's inquiry kids figuring out what they want to learn, you guiding the process. So this school is a PYP school and the other school was not. So it was a big switch in curriculum. So that, that sounds uh, similar to what Ontario started doing with kindergarten, like the, the, um, I, I know there's a right term for it, but. Is it the Regia Emilia sort of process? The like, yeah, the inquiry based. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't know very much about it. When I taught kindergarten, it was the old school model where it was just you with the every other day class um, and, and you didn't have an ECE with you. But uh, so I, I really I'm so ignorant on the model. I, I, I don't know. But I know it's like play based where if a kid's like, yeah, I want to learn about grasshoppers. And you're like, OK, well, let's go. It's grasshopper time. And then so Montessori sort of approach, a Montessori approach, maybe. Perhaps I, I'm just like, I guess yeah. where I come from, Jen, like I'm a, I'm a South Oshawa, you know, public school kind of. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, yeah. I don't really, I didn't go to prep school or anything like that. So Montessori is something I, I, I know very little about too. PYP, what does that look like? Um, so basically you start a unit and you don't really tell them what they're going to teach. You're, they're going to learn about. So you give them topics and basically you do what you call a provocation or a provocation. So basically you give them little prompts and they sort of have to discover what they're learning about or ask questions, generate questions. And then they kind of go through a research process where they start with the questions and by the end, you've moved them through the process of answering their own questions. And ultimately you want them to take action. So that's the big thing, like student voice, student choice, and then them taking action in some form and like so it can be within the community within their classroom within their family but you want them to basically take what they've learned through their little learning journey and apply it to real life it's funny because like i try to do that jen i try but i i've never done it with i've never been trained formally on the inquiry process i know we've had like lots of flybys but my way of doing it has always just been like, hey, let's identify a problem, something that pisses you off in your own school, in your own community. And then we eventually make a plan, a survey, and then we wind up doing something about it. And I didn't realize I was doing a, a PYP thing. I guess I was just like fumbling my way through and getting lucky. Yeah. And PYP is sort of like, yeah, it's like the label for it. But like inquiry-based learning is basically what it is with a fancy label. And in order to teach PYP, you have to be trained. So you have to pay to take these expensive courses to teach PYP. Whereas I think a lot of good teachers do it naturally. Okay. Yeah. And that was my big switch because I was, it took me a while to jump on the bandwagon of PYP. Like I really struggled with 
um, like, especially with, I teach first grade, like, especially how to guide them through the inquiry process. Like I always said, if I taught third grade, cause that's the other grade I've taught or even like upper grades, it would be so much easier, but it's really hard to get little kids to go through the process. Cause they're still dealing with language, right? Like it, they're still yeah. sorting their way through language or languages. Exactly. So that's the big thing. So the nice thing about my school is that we can teach reading and writing separately from PYP. There are schools in the world that do it together. And for me, I really kind of struggle with seeing them together. I would love to see a good example of it. I have yet to see it in a way that I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Because to me, in the lower primary grades, you need to teach reading, writing, speaking, and those need to be done by themselves in isolation. And then everything else comes after. That, that makes total sense to me. Just to think of um, how little skills little people have. In my last podcast was Amanda talking about her own son and the things she's trying to prepare him for before he goes to kindergarten. And writing, reading, and learning to speak correctly you have to do those independently, like you said, until you get like a, a good, strong stranglehold on it. Because then your reading can help drive your writing and your writing might help drive your reading forward. And But I don't know, I can't even fathom trying to do that in a language that I didn't speak naturally. So uh, tell me, uh, you spy, how, how long have you known different languages? Did, did you only know English when we went to Trent together or what? I only knew, well, I did French immersion, so I guess I knew English and French. I got the diploma that said I was French immersion certified or whatever, it. but I did it. I did it. I completed it, but in hindsight, I think I still understand French, but French helped me with Spanish because French and Spanish are very similar. So, and I think in moving to Mexico, I tried taking language classes. I tried like Duolingo and all that stuff. But for me, I just have to live the language to learn it. So sitting in a classroom doesn't help me at all. I'm a horrible language student, but like being out and about and having to do everything in Spanish, that's how I inquired the language. I think that would be my style too. If you told me to sit down and study the language, I'm just, uh, I have just terrible studying habits now, but if you drop me off in a culture and I had no way of getting out of it other than just assimilating, I think I would that that would be a kick in the ass to really make you pick it up, right? Is that yeah. what happened with you? Yeah, and like if I would anticipate like going to the doctor or going to certain places, and I would write down like maybe some words that I might need, so that would also help. But I didn't. I felt like the more that I tried, the less that it happened. So actually, living the language was the perfect way for me. And then Malaysia actually speaks English. Everyone speaks English. They might not speak it well. But they speak Bahasa, Malay, is the, the, the official language, I guess. Everyone speaks English. And then because there's like Malay, Chinese, and Indian, they all speak their own languages as well. So they speak, the Chinese will speak Mandarin and Cantonese. Indians have different Indian dialects. And then the Malays speak Bahasa. So, but th they all communicate in English. So it's actually a really easy place to live for that reason. So a lot of people call Malaysia in the teaching world, Asia light, because it's not like you're in China or Japan or a country where training mode. Yeah, exactly. Where you need another language. Gotcha. What yeah. language do you hear when you're walking through your grocery store 
you know, your grocery store? What's, what's your neighborhood cultural taste like? Like, what language do you hear? Mostly English because there's a lot of expats or Bahasa. So the workers will speak, the grocery store workers will speak to each other in Bahasa, but they will speak to you. Because you said you were in the Muslim part of town, right? I'm in the expat part of town. So I'm surrounded by people from all over the world. I guess what I'm struggling with and what I've been trying to pick up is the definition of an expat. I think it's an expatriate, someone that left their country and immigrated to Malaysia. Yeah, or they're here short term. Okay. So an expatriate. So yeah, expats are people that like are here from another country and they don't necessarily have citizenship here or resident, well, maybe residency, but yeah, it's an expat. So because there's so many companies here in Malaysia, there's a lot of people that from all over the world here. Gotcha. In Kuala Lumpur. Well, to my mom, an expat is Tom Brady, her boyfriend. Ah, yes. So yeah, no, there's probably terms that I'll use. I was going to give you the heads up that you might not know what they mean no i'm just gonna go ahead and say this Mm -hmm. you're you're killing the the podcast thing because you're dropping acronyms but then you're you're answering them right away after because you're a teacher and you know where people are going to get lost so yeah it's kind of easy like usually i'm having to like define something for for everybody and you're kind of doing it yourself you're good you're good (laughs) okay so you're in mexico and I don't want to give anything away, but you, you told me you weren't exactly in a lovely situation. So where I was was okay, but I think Mexico at the time was in a really bad place. So Mexico was in the news basically for drug wars, for shootings, for kidnappings, for all of that sort of thing. And I had to live in, in northern Mexico, so you would drive two hours up and you would border, you would be in the US, basically. You would be in Texas. So when anything would happen within that border region, they would link it back to the city that I was in. Oui. So, so it didn't necessarily happen where I was, but like the news, and this is what we call in the expat, the ex, or like the traveling teacher world like the cnn effect so one thing will happen and then that gives the reputation for the whole country right so a lot of people hear mexico now and they don't think good things but yeah yeah, i i I can just relate to that just like being a kid from oshawa because right away when someone says hey where are you from and you say oshawa then they say north or south and then you know if you say north and it's everything's cool and then you make fun of the south but if you say south then you know they've either got to like you know be, oh yeah, yeah it's it's cool or like oh hey how is it and i don't know that it sucks because it's it's only a few things a few stories and then it ran wild yeah and so that's the same thing with mexico is that things were happening but it's like that murders happen in canada right murders happen in the u.s like i think the crime rate in the u.s is actually higher than in mexico but just the way that the media works you're going to hear what's happening in Mexico. And then with the whole, I was there when Trump was elected into president. And that was like a really like solemn day in Mexico. And it happened to be parent teacher conference day. So Trump was voted in and I had a bunch of Mexicans coming in that just were shocked. I think the whole world was shocked, but it was a really interesting to be with people that 
like the whole wall thing might be reality. Mexican people were threatened, like formally, like on TV, repeatedly. Exactly. So it was a really interesting time. And also explaining it to, I taught third graders at the time, and they knew, they knew what was said. And so also explaining that to them. So actually what I did is I'm Canadian. I'm very, um, that's something like in the international world too. Like I do not like being associated as an American. So I'm normally very quick to make that. Actually I'm Canadian sort of switch, but I actually had my principal come in and talk to the kids because I didn't feel comfortable as a Canadian explaining how it happened. Cause I still to this day don't understand um, the American voting system and how it works. So I wasn't comfortable explaining it to them. So I got my American principal in and he dealt with the 21 little people and all of their questions. Was he able to explain it? Cause like, I don't really understand it either. I, I, I guess I kind of know you when your votes in areas and some areas count more, but like how the hell are you going to explain that to eight year olds? I know. I think he did a better job than I would, but he, I'm still not convinced after listening to him. Like, I really don't understand their system. So it was an interesting time. Like a lot of anger, a lot of, yeah, just a lot of really deep feelings as Mexicans. I know Canadians were very uneasy when that day happened too. Like I was at the the hockey arena having a beer with the bi- having a beer with the boys after our game, and we were watching Trump win, and we're like, "What?" But yeah, he didn't make threats against our country, so I'm sure that would be terrifying and solemn. Exactly, and like where I was from, a lot of people, like a lot of my students, owned homes in Texas in a place called South Padre Island. So, like they went to the U.S. often. And I think they still do. But I think for that moment, there was a few days when they were wondering, like, what is this going to look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trump's presidency has definitely had a ripple effect on the whole planet, I would have to say. Yeah, I think it's been good, like, because I work with a lot of Americans here. So for me, like, none of us can go home this summer. I think internationally, most teachers are stuck where they're teaching. So I can technically maybe make it home, but it would be interesting because I normally transit through Hong Kong and Hong Kong at the moment is not allowing transit. So then I would have to go to a different airport and it's basically hit or miss. Like you really have to know the procedures of where you're transiting from. And so a lot of them need a COVID test and it has to be done within a certain amount of time in order to transit through their airports. And then flights are being canceled constantly so none of us are going home because none of us have visas to get back in to malaysia so basically we none of us are leaving across the world but it's really easy i think for the americans to not go home because the situation in the u.s is not good right now like with covid especially and so strange yeah like mm -hmm. it, it keeps getting worse it seems like in areas Yeah. And then for me, well, like, I know that it wouldn't be like the beautiful Ontario summer that I usually have, and there's quite strict rules. So I've come to accept it. But it's just so interesting how this has affected everything, everything. The whole world stopped. Yeah. And so a lot of our students are also stuck here in Malaysia. Well, all of them are. And then 
every year in international schools, there's a big turnaround. Like it's basically, it's very transient, right? And none of our new teachers can get here. Our school year starts August 4th and the earliest they can be here is mid September. Wow. So yes. what will happen then? They'll We're just beg not... you guys to take on more classes? We're not really sure. And like, I guess there was an announcement in Ontario today, right, on how you guys will return to school. I was reading when I went to bed last night, so I need to catch up. But there was a conversation on how you guys, if you guys go back in September, how you'll go, right? Uh, that's so funny because I've just had my head down all day long. And I knew that announcement was happening, but I just didn't pay attention. So I, I'm unaware of what the plans are, too. Okay, I think it was very big because that's how it is here. So I think... It said what, what, what I read yesterday, that there were three possible scenarios. So I'm guessing it's the same as here. We're completely online. We're completely in the classroom. Or it's a hybrid model, a combination of the two. So I'm guessing that it's the same everywhere, right? So we don't even know how we're going to go back to school at this point. I think the whole world is like that. Like, we're going to go back eventually. But what is that going to look like? And I was in my room last week with the principal and basically all of my stuff needs to go like all of my carpets and like my toys like manipulatives and stuff everything's going and so it'll just be desks spaced out and then if there's not enough space between the kids you need to put up uh plexiglass hmm. so that they so it's just going to be interesting so at this point i don't even know what i want in terms of going back to school. We, in January, started taking temperatures in and out of the school because we are close to China. So we started taking temperatures in and out of the school, doing extra hand washing, hand sanitizing the kids a lot. And it's just so much work and it's stuff that I feel like I don't even think about, right? Until and you're yes, in that they they're so young they don't know how to think about it without you telling them to think about it right exactly and then like they touch each other like so basically here in Malaysia we got called we went to school on a Monday and we were shocked that we went to school because other countries around us were shutting down so we went to school on a Monday and they told us that starting Tuesday we would be in lockdown so that Monday we had really strict rules like no touching we bring them to the canteen to eat and I ha we had to put a seat between them when they were eating and stretch them out across the canteen. So it was, it was just really interesting. And that was one day of it. And I can't imagine this being the new normal. This, the distancing model, like if you expect all the children in the classroom at the same time, um, I have no idea how we're going to do it. It sounds like Malaysia's better at coming up with plans than people in Ontario are. Um, I'm willing to bet you guys will be okay. You're, you're, uh, from a very pragmatic society. It sounds like. Yeah. And what I read too, I think in Ontario, they would bring like 15 kids a day. I think that's what it said in the article I read. So I think that that, I have 20 kids, give or take. And I think that's the model that makes most sense to me is that you don't have your whole class. So you half one day, half the next. And oh yeah. I've daydreamed about this uh, with a couple of coworker friends. Like if you want to split the class and do half in half out, that blended model makes perfect sense. But like, let's, let's go big with it. Let's have our stronger students chunked together. 
Let's have our, our lower, more needy students chunk together. And let's have my needy students come in on the morning and then your needy students come in in the afternoon so that we can effectively share any supports that may be available, such as EAs and, you know, technology or whatever your way of dealing with things is, but like really structure it so that everything is maximized and you're getting a lot more efficiency out of having less kids in there. It can really work out. Yeah. And we've even found like online learning as much as we've struggled with it for some kids, it's working. Some kids we're seeing such great work and the conversations are having online. It's interesting that for some kids it has worked. There are some, some benefits of online learning. I would say the kids that have always had, sorry, the kids that I have always had most of their attention, the ones that hung on every word, those kids continued online. And if anything, I think some of those kids got exposed to like really cool things that were enriching in lots of ways, but um, it didn't work for, for most of my class. And it all came down to effort. It's an effort thing here. Yeah, so I teach first graders. So they were there every morning at 9 a.m. ready to go and very, very keen. But I've also upper grades would be hard. And home support is such a big part of this, right? Like basically these parents have also become teachers overnight. Yep. And it's challenging. Uh, Being a teacher or being someone that can make a little person or multiple little people all do the same thing that you wanted them to do the way you wanted them to do it. I don't know, call that a superpower, don't you? Yeah, it's pretty, now that you step back and see all the things you do when you're prepping online learning, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. How has online learning changed your planning and like delivery process? Hmm, that's a good question. I think really breaking it down into really one little thing I want them to learn each day. Like there was no multiple things that I would touch on in a lesson or like extension or differentiation. It was really like, what do I want you to learn today? Yeah, really big narrow- nuggets. Yeah, big nuggets. What do I want you to take away? Um, and then also really looking at the curriculum like and taking away things that like basically they needed me in a classroom to learn. So there were lessons just completely trash because there was no way that they were going to get it online. Yeah. Yeah. And then we use a program called Seesaw. I don't know if you use it in Ontario. I'm familiar with Seesaw, but break it down for people. So Seesaw is basically an online learning platform where the kids can access basically worksheets, if you want to say that, but they can turn their answers back in using video, using their voice, drawing, and so you can basically see what they've learned. And so, and Seesaw has actually really grown through this process as well. So you can upload videos for the kids. They can watch the videos and then respond to you with a video. So that has been really, really, that's what saved us through online learning, especially with little people. I did use Seesaw for my grade one class the last time I taught grade one. And I liked it. Like an online portfolio of the kids' yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. And they've just, like, that's the thing throughout this whole um, lockdown. That's what we call it in Malaysia. But this whole thing, too, I feel like a lot of, like, the companies or the programs or the tools you have available, they really rose up, too, right? Like, they would give you free subscriptions, free access. They would give you, like, bonus features, the updates. 
Uh, so I found that really overwhelming actually when I was planning because with little people, and I'm sure with um, fifth and sixth graders, you don't want to throw too much technology at them, right? So there's all of these great things available, but we just kind of stuck to what they, they knew. Because whenever yeah. we did something different, it turned into my teaching partners and I would laugh because if we would do one thing different, like we want you to go to this one website, we would get like 20 parent emails. Well, it became really challenging with everyone throwing out their best stuff because it was very much like a competition. Some of them were like, no, we're not giving it out for free. But um, a lot of them did so well and they were so charitable. You mentioned not throwing too much technology at the fifth and sixth graders. Mm-hmm. It, it actually worked out really well for me in my class because we, we were in a f- pretty low income area and there's a lot of technology that's available. Plus, our board has just done a lot of really good work of uh, ensuring tech more than they used to. So almost all of the things that I was using for distance learning, my students had already been like, engaged with um, using on Google Classroom or, you know, it's an app that we've already worked on before. And it really wasn't that scary for me in my class this year. But, you know, every, every year it's a different class. It's a, it's a brand new set of kids, right? Brand new set of problems, too. Yeah. And I think that that's something like in hindsight, going into the next school year, we will be trying out all the apps just in case this happens again. Right. So we'll be we'll be having Google Meets in our classroom so everyone can get on the Google Meet and log in and mute themselves and go through all the Google Meet etiquette. So I think that going into the next school year, I'll definitely go in with them. with that in mind. And also we had like one day to give our kids supplies that they would need. So basically we found out around 10 a.m. that they would be out. And I think the first time they announced it, it was a two week, two week block. We never thought that we would be finishing off the school year online. So in hindsight, they would have a lot of stuff with them because a lot of the lessons we were planning would have been so much better if they had the thing that they needed that was in the classroom. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was massive uh, for us to deal with here in Ontario as well. I want to go back to the cartel. Do you have any juicy stories about like stuff that just happened? Um, stuff that happened with the cartel. I think like basically where I live, the city that I lived in, the whole, they had an area called the barrio, which is basically like a street with bars on it. And basically for like four or five years when I was there, that was completely shut down by the cartel. When you say so, shut down, like what do you, what do you mean by the shutdown? So like basically they, you couldn't go to the bars anymore. You couldn't because they were basically so dangerous. So a lot of what happened in Mexico, they were really into, or where I was, is kidnapping, right? So they see people with money, they kidnap them and then call for a ransom. Fucking terrifying. Yeah. So that's the thing. And then they also do it in a way, like I know that the guy that cut my hair, his mom got kidnapped. And so they took her to a hotel and they were very nice to her. She was an old, older lady. Um, and they were very nice to her, but basically they kept calling until they got the money they wanted and then they released her. How so, much was it? What's the price of your mom? I don't even know. I can't even remember. I want to say like thousands of dollars, but not huge. So I'm like a lot of money to a working class Mexican for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then just like security as well. Like, and this happens here. I don't know if you do it in Ontario, but do you guys do like intruder 
um, intruder lockdown practices. Yeah. Yeah. Where you have to get under the desk and stuff like, yeah. So we did practice that and it was slightly terrifying for the kids because it was their reality in a lot of cases, not reality, but it could happen. So I find even here in Malaysia, it probably couldn't happen, but like with the kids in Mexico, it could, it could happen. It could be the reality. So really like, um, kind of doing it in a tactful way because sometimes I find like even here I kind of try to make it fun like okay guys we're gonna get under the desk and we can play some games as we wait for the announcement but in Mexico it's just being super sensitive and being super sensitive that the kids could have seen things outside of school or their family could have been impacted by things but my yeah and like my campus that was a big difference between um, Malaysia and here for me as well or sorry, Mexico in here, is that in Mexico, my campus was so secure. Like, guards on both sides. And basically, parents were not allowed on campus. They were allowed on campus. But here, basically, the school is a second home for a lot of the parents. So I'll be teaching, and like there'll be moms at my window, and they go to the canteen and drink coffee, and they hang out with each other, because most cases one parent, typically the dad, is working, and they have a trailing spouse who's typically the mom. There are other cases, but that's typically what it is. So a lot of times our school here in Malaysia is where they hang out. It is their home. We have Spanish lessons for parents, yoga for parents. So parents are often on campus, where at my old school, parents were not, like it was so secure that parents would come in and out, but they would have to check in, get a name badge, like, it was a big deal there. So when I first moved here, I was really on edge having parents walking around my room. I'm in sort of like a fishbowl bowl room, so windows on both sides. So that was a big adjustment for me, like just seeing people walking by all the time. I think I've had that nightmare before, but like 18 times. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a while. It took me a while to get used to it. But it's a very nice place, like here in Malaysia, like... The school is a very happy place for a lot of people. So the hope with us now, since a lot of us are stuck here this summer, in terms is that they want to open up the school to be like that happy place with um, like the playgrounds open, the pools open, um, the gym. So that's the ultimate goal, I think. I think that's here. what a school is. Like if, if we really strip it away, like I now realize that a giant chunk of my job is childcare. I, I yeah. would have fought you about that five months ago. I would have I would have fought you about it. But it is. I see that now. I get it. But it is that safe place. It is the pool. It is the bar for kids. It is the playground. It is the basketball court. School's where it all happens. That's where they meet up and congregate. It's like the most important place in their life that they don't even – they pretend to hate, at least in Ontario. Exactly, Yeah. And I know, like, going back to online learning a bit, um, like, basically, that's what we had to do with, like, our morning meetings, for example. It, a lot of the kids just needed that connection, the connection to us, the connection to their peers, the connection. So a lot of our morning meetings just turned into that. So just talking to each other, seeing each other, being with each other, really, for half an hour in the morning, because really it was the only connection they had. And so a lot of my kids, I have kids that have not been outside of their condos since March 16th. My gosh. Yeah. And so, and I had getting texts from parents, like a lot of them 
because we live in condos, that's pretty typical here in KL. Right. Like a lot of my kids are getting chubby. So a lot of parents are like sending me messages. What can they do? What can they, because they haven't moved basically without, with a, like within their four walls since March 16th. It's wild because our students are starting to come and retrieve their belongings in our school. And after not seeing them for, I guess it's almost four months, some of them have honestly grown four inches. Wow. Especially at that age, right? That you have. Yeah. Like yeah. kids, I've, I taught this boy three years in a row, but he's at least four inches taller and also has like, you know, the sideburns that boys get where they that the hair starts like creeping down your jawline. Yes. He, he's getting that. And it's just insane because it wasn't that long ago. It was like, okay, March break. See ya. Don't get, don't get hurt. And so, curtains. Wow. So you guys didn't know, did you guys know going into March break that you wouldn't see them after March break? The, the timeline you- for us was... Um, I was watching as things were happening and paying attention, reading po- or listening to podcasts and reading about how it was getting bigger in the West. But my buddy Scott was really the one saying, this is, this is big. And he works in a hospital. Like he's a medical guy in, in Canada. So he's like, buddy, this is, this is, this thing's coming. Like we might not get our hockey season finished. And he was right. Um, the Thursday before the March break, we had, a, we had, class and it was that day the friday was going to be a pa day anyway and it was just a free day everyone was just at home and we found out at i found out at like 3 45 or something p.m that thursday night and i remember distinctly because i got home and said ah march break social media has been stressing me out i'm deleting facebook off my phone that way if i want to look at it i got to go to the computer and actually look for it and then i deleted it 10 minutes later, uh, everyone gets the news flash that Lechie said we're, we're shutting down schools for uh, an additional two weeks. And that was that was all we knew. And as those two weeks kind of happened, that's when I was like, this is not going away. We're not going to be back in the classroom. And then you started slowly hearing everyone saying, oh, there's no way we're going back. And really up until I guess now, and I still haven't even seen it from, for myself, Everyone's just kind of been assuming September's going to be like a, yeah, we'll start school-ish in September. We'll start whatever school's going to be in September, but we might not be in brick and mortar. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting, I think it's going to be a while before we're back to a truly normal, if ever, right? They say that this might be the new normal. I think that that's wise. Like, as far as how it affects education, I think that it's it's smart if we if we take the accommodations that trying to avoid COVID-19 would naturally bring about, that's going to improve education, less kids in the room, more concentration on the important parts, like you were saying, Um, just uh, just looking for the big nuggets, cutting out the crap and doing things that matter, like that will, you know, bring about a change in someone and maybe make them inspired. Like you're, you know, make, make a difference kind of project, the PYP program. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll see where, where it goes really. I think in the international world too, it's definitely going to be, this is going to be big. So China is not letting teachers in or anybody in right now. And so a bulk, a good chunk of the international jobs, China has a lot of international jobs. So I don't know what's going to happen there. I have teachers 
friends in China that they went on Chinese New Year break to the Philippines. They, they teach in Beijing. They basically didn't go back to Beijing because this all broke out. They moved, they went from the Philippines to the US because they're Americans and they taught 19 weeks online. They just started vacation last week. Wow. So they were 19 weeks, but in China, it's a 12 hour time difference, right? So they were teaching overnight in the US to their kids in China. I guess yeah. it's, it's all possible. It's all possible. Technology has made it possible, right? So uh, you and I are exactly 12 hours apart. Exactly. Yeah. So it happens. But yeah, so I really feel for the teachers in China. And I kept thinking that like they started like two months or a month and a half before us teaching online. So can I ask, uh, you said you started doing your meets in, at the, in the morning for about a half an hour. What mm-hmm. was the process of you finding out what will be done? Like, did you guys start getting emails with standards attached to them saying like, hey, we're going to do this for this amount of time, then this for this amount of time? Or were you free to sort of navigate that yourselves? So that's interesting. So basically a big difference between like what you do and I do is I work for a private school. So the parents are the customers, right? So that's big. That's a big switch. I think in both of the schools that I've taught in, like the parents are paying for the kids to go to our school. So that's one thing that like you sort of have to keep in mind when you're planning things. Um, so basically we started like getting first graders on meet was, um, was interesting. And we were basically, so we started with a two week lockdown and then it was extended two weeks. And then it sort of got extended in a way that we may go back to school, but probably not. So I feel like those two week blocks were really hard on everyone because we sort of had hope that we might go back. So we started initially just getting the kids used to doing Google Meets. And then they basically had um, a slideshow. So a Google slideshow every day with a lesson for math, reading, writing, and PYP. And then as it continued, um, we turned, so they had a Google Meet and it was just getting them on, getting them used to the microphone and all of that. And then we started with a half an hour Google Meet in the morning. And basically the purpose of that meet was to meet, say hi, play a game, explain the work for the day. And then we had 15, they were in small groups and they would come back for a 15 minute small group. Nice so, yeah, um, I'm right now teaching a summer program. So I used to think until the beginning of last week that a first grader couldn't sit for more than 15 minutes. I'm currently teaching a summer program for the school online and it's math and I have K to two and we sit for an hour and it's doable. So that's been a good push for me to see that if you break up the time and you do the proper activities, they can sit for an hour and I have 18 kids in those groups nobody can sit for an hour if it's boring so it can't be boring yeah so I have like I basically took the hour divided it into 15 minutes put a little break there in the middle so yeah it's doable but I don't think that will be the popular opinion when we go back um yeah just getting kids used to the technology like 
we always laugh, my teaching and partner. We've had kids going to the bathroom on Google Meets. We've had kids, like all of the memes and stuff you see, it's probably happened to us as first grade teachers on, on Google Meets. It's been really interesting. And then we were using Zoom, or some people were using Zoom. We never made the switch, my team. But like Zoom has so many better features than Google Meet. Like you can mute everyone at the same time. You can unmute people. There's little breakout rooms. So Zoom was like the popular choice, but then Zoom had big time security issues. So we all have to use Meet now. It's funny, the security issues all stemmed from the fact that this, it was a small little like tech startup and a few people that were running it. And then it just, it got out of control. And the reason that, I don't know why they lied and said everything was encrypted, but like they just found themselves completely like overwhelmed with demand. And I think they've done a great job of providing those features. I don't know what they've done about the security, Um, but we wound up going with Google meet. um, And it was, I don't know if it's the right choice, but it certainly is convenient because we use Google classroom. Almost everyone's using it. Yeah. And I think Google is trying to keep up to zoom now. Like someone told me starting next week, you're going to be able to do breakout rooms in Google Meet and you're going to be able to do um, the mute all is really the feature that I want right now. Um, But there, so Google is trying to follow in the footsteps of Zoom, but whenever that happens, I find that Google Meet is glitchy because you guys are, we're the nighttime for where North America's day, right? So I find a lot of times when systems are going to go offline, or they're going to fix something, they do it overnight. So it doesn't impact you guys. But a lot of times, like, we'll go to log into a program and it's off or it's um, glitchy. So that's one of the joys of teaching 12 hours ahead of you guys is we deal with all of the little glitchy stuff. Just like, well, you know, we hook up the Western world and it happens when the Eastern world's doing their business day. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Basically, too, like, did your students have their own devices or did you provide devices, the school? Uh, Our students that had their own devices were supposed to say, like, we have our own devices and if they needed it, then they would get it from the school. But in my school, so many families needed devices. We actually couldn't cover the need with everything. Um, But I believe there was a school really close by, just just right around the corner and they were able to give out like two or three devices per family just because that was the way that their their numbers shake out. So um, just being a, a more, uh, you know, disadvantaged, uh, you know, economically school, it made it really hard for us to have proper devices. Yeah, I can understand that. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess they put together a plan because every kid in my class had access. They had they had the ability to, by the end, it just took longer. And I, I think what it was, was schools that had affluence, um, they were able to start distance learning almost immediately. There was that small period of time where teachers had to collect their thoughts and go after it. But we were a couple of weeks lagging behind as we gathered information. And our schools tend to be the ones where the parents would not answer a, a phone number from a number that they don't recognize, right? They're not going to answer that call. Wow. And so, you know, you're not going to put yourself at risk and use your own cell phone to call parents. But so then you're, you're just, uh, they're ducking your call all day and they, they don't even know it's you. It's frustrating, man. Yeah. It sounds like it. 
be remiss to, to, you know, not ask this. Um, how do you handle a student that is not behaving or a student that is not going for it? A student that's not trying, you know, how, how would you in your private school in Malaysia, what does that look like when a student's not engaged? Um, so the thing with private schools is the screening process to get in is quite vigorous, right? So that like hearing your stories, like my, I actually did my student teaching in a very rural part of Ontario. So like every kid was in an IEP. I think the school was so small at one point they had grade one, two, three, um, all in one room right. just to fill, fill up a classroom. And like behavior and hunting season, I did my student teaching during hunting season. No one came because they were all going deer hunting. Mm -hmm. So that's where I did my student teaching. And so like very, very high needs, right? Um, the international world, parents have to pay to put their school, their kids in schools. Um, so the screening process is, it depends on the school, but basically kids with behavior learning issues may or may not get into the school to start. So you're not dealing with it because they're essentially and effectively kind of screened out. And... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that makes Perfect. sense. Like I get yeah. that. That's... And it like it happens, but like the behavior issues I deal with are nothing compared to what you deal with. And I often sometimes have to remind myself of that like remind myself back to my student teaching days because like we all have those days when we're like oh poor me my class is so bad and then you think back it's like this is nothing compared to what I would be dealing with back home so yeah so if a student with behavior needs gets in per se there really isn't like especially the school I'm at now like the kids are amazing like, they're just really nice. They're very, and because they're all expats too, like they, they're all here from, um, they're here for a short time. So typically their parents' contracts are two to three years. So they're either the new kid or they remember being the new kid. So they're naturally very nice to each other. So even bullying issues. And then my class of, I had 18 kids this year. I had kids from 12 different countries. That's so so, cool. na so naturally, like conversations come up about culture and and that sort of thing. So really, I've been lucky with the whole behavior thing. Typically, like Asian kids have like a stereotype of being really well behaved. Is it a parenting thing as well? Like I, I know that I know that the the variable is that they're being screened and that it's a private school. So the tuition needs to be there. So that, that, you know, mm -hmm. assumes affluence and, uh, you know, a, a certain culture or whatever, but. Parents are pretty on board too. And even where I'm at now, like if I had like a celebration, a writing celebration on a weekday morning at say 10 o'clock, every kid would have a parent there because their mom or dad in some cases isn't working. So they'll be there for them, right? So I think even through distance learning, that was the case in most cases. They had someone right there to help them. Um, and then parenting, like Asian parents, like education is very important in the Asian culture. Korea, Japan, China, India. So it's, it's very valued. I've heard that before from other friends of mine that have taught abroad. Um, 
do you find like can you feel the like a different respect level bestowed upon you for what you do yeah and it's it's interesting too because it's it's definitely very cultural as well so yeah like definitely asian parents very respectful um when i first came here too a parent teacher meeting with a korean family they often give you gifts so they'll walk into like a meeting and there would be like a big box of chocolates. And Jen, then that's they, a bribe. You've been, you've been getting bribes. I know, I know. <laughs> so at first I'm like, what do I do in this case? Like, do I give the chocolate back? Do I like, yeah, it was very interesting. But the school definitely is, stands behind their teachers as well, which is good. It's not always the case, I think, in international schools. There's mixed stories, but like my school here stands behind their teachers and they also yeah and we had parent-teacher conferences actually online so that was part of it is that we missed our parent-teacher conference um because of covid so at the end of the year we met with every single family on google meet hmm. yeah I, uh, I would love the chance to have that with every one of my students and, and their parents but um I think they've tried to set it up so that when kids can come and pick up their things, it's on a day that the teachers have signed up to be in there and you can kind of have like a little goodbye, but um, it's uh, honestly, you probably would think that teachers in Ontario are on vacation as of right now, because there's only four more days of school left next week, Monday to Thursday, and then we're done. Um, and like, for planning and uh, well, planning really. I did a, a choice board. Have you, you guys messing with choice boards? We yeah. <laughs> we yeah yeah. Yeah, um, we love yeah, the so choice board. I just did a big bingo card one for the last three weeks of school, and they've been working on that, which is nice because oh, nice. I'm not having to plan new content while assessing, while meeting, while all the other stuff, right? So, are you guys assessing online? Is that something that you're doing? Uh, we're not supposed to be assessing. Uh, I basically made all my, all my tasks on Google classroom an assignment out of one, just so I could see that, you know, binary code one zero, did they do it? Did they not do it after I'm done, you know, turning everything back to them? Um, not supposed to be assessing. We're supposed to be focusing on feedback, focusing okay, on yeah. feedback, um, and providing security or ensuring security or checking in on security. Uh, basically make sure that the kids feel emotionally, you know, um, looked after and, you know, they feel like they can connect with you. Um, what they do hand in, you're supposed to provide feedback with the, uh, you know, with the growth mindset, just trying to move them forward as opposed to like, uh, you got this many right, this many wrong kind of thing. Um, but it's, it continues to, to change. Like for me, it changed every week, maybe every two weeks if it didn't, as I, tried a new thing to engage my students because engagement just wasn't high. And what about report cards? So that was like one perk. We usually have really long report cards and I know that you do in Ontario as well, but during the COVID time, they didn't get grades or marks. What do you guys say in Canada? Grades or marks? Uh, I believe the difference between grade and mark is grades now are like uh, grade six and lower, you know, your letter grades. And okay. marks, marks are considered your like percentage grades, grade seven and above. So um, this is a term in the international world that you will say something like if you're going to do your marking, I think it's a Canadian thing that Americans won't understand you. So there are some things like some phrases like that, but it's interesting that they're not global. 
Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So our kids didn't get any grades or marks. They got a star in all the subjects. And then it was basically like a little comment for each kid about how they participated in the online learning. If they did, if they didn't, that was it. That was all. So that was kind of nice because the end of the year report card is always the doozy. Right. Yeah, our report card mandate was uh, no grades can be any lower than they were as of March 13th. And if anyone improved their grade with their distance learning, uh, you know, whatever they showed, you could bump grades up that way. But um, like, I think for everyone in our school, it was just so low that we were just kind of like, I, I don't know about everyone else. I can only really say for me, I wrote my kids reports the way that they would be as I finished March 13th. And then, okay. and then I looked at the kids that like the 10 kids that are killing it. And I looked for growth above and beyond that. But we were just supposed to leave uh, a comment saying that, you know, due to the school closure, um, you know, there's insufficient information or something. Some formal statement you cannot shorten. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so we had a report card go home right before this happened. It was interesting. So basically our entire, we divide the year into three, basically. So the entire third trimester was completely online. I, I think we informally chunk it into three. We have the progress report that comes out like mid, late October. And then I think in February, we get our uh, term one report card and then term two comes at the end of June. But we were in a weird spot because Ontario had the teacher strikes as well. One day teacher strike, work to rule stuff. Report card writing was considered struck work. So we didn't do that. And oh. term one reports didn't go home at all even though teachers were responsible for coming up with um, grades or marks and submitting them to the office. So every teacher, if you're listening, every teacher in Ontario completed the grades or marks for the reports, but we were not going to write them. And then the office was supposed to take the grades and input them and then make reports. And they were like, we're not doing this. So they just waited till the 11th hour decided that reports were not going to go out. And it was honestly like a media power play thing. The teachers aren't writing reports and misinformation and which newspaper do you read and blah, blah, blah. But we didn't do it. So, so is your situation like with the whole work to rule thing and that sort of thing, is it still happening or was it kind of put on hold because of COVID? Oh, it's the weirdest fucking thing in the world. It's all over with now. And we basically rolled stuff back to the way that it was in 2016. Um, we got a 1% raise which like i don't know that wasn't even what i wanted but like i wasn't even after a raise um but we were told we were getting one percent and we got one percent um we went on strike for a bunch of days they didn't pay us for a bunch of days i don't know i bet they just saved enough money and we paid ourselves for that one percent raise i i don't know but it's funding supposed to roll back just what it was four years ago and it seems like that was just it. So it's been ratified and we're, we're settled, but like, it just, it's very weird because no one's even talked about it. It's all been about COVID, right? Yeah. And I've heard, like, I come from a very political family, but my family is saying very good things about how Ford has dealt with this whole COVID situation. I would have to agree. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm not a Ford supporter. He's not, he's not my people, but um, I, I try to, I don't want to, look at people and say what color shirt they're wearing anyway he, mm -hmm. he handled this well he handled yeah. this very well 
Um, I wish he had a louder voice during negotiations or, or negotiations in quotation marks. Um, but he, he's handled this uh, quarantine, lockdown. I'm not sure what we're supposed to call it. I know. He's handled it well. Situation, I think it's the best. So does your family miss you like crazy or what? Um, I think it's kind of the norm now. And normally I go home. So I have a brother that lives in Toronto. So I think I see my parents and my family more than he does just because when I go home, so I normally go home at Christmas time and that was easier in Mexico. It's, it's a long flight from Asia, but normally I go home at Christmas and then I go home for like a month in the summer. So this is going to be really the longest chunk I've been away from home. So normally I do make the trip back. And then my parents actually came to Asia last Christmas. So Christmas 2018. So that was a really awesome trip to be able to show them around here. So I think it's just kind of the norm. And like with technology, it makes it so much easier. Even in the 13 years I've been away, technology has changed so much. That like you can Zoom, you can do all of the, all of the things online. It's so true, because uh, we graduated at the same time from our undergrad anyway. I think you. Yeah. Um, so, like, I've seen teaching just go wild, go absolutely buck wild on technology, where if you were starting to use computers in a way that wasn't just for gaming or word processing, you were doing something different. Exactly. And- even in in like writing papers in university like i don't i don't remember even when we were in lectures and stuff at trent people being on phones and stuff like i don't think that the cell phone yeah i don't think that the cell phone or even laptops like i remember bringing a notebook and taking notes for sure well we were in the same program which I, i wanted to point out as well it's funny when you reached out in your message to say that you've been listening from malaysia you were like hi rick it's me jen um not sure if you remember me we went to school together i'm like what the hell are you talking about we were in sociology together but the thing about trent you have to keep in mind is you were a man at trent so everybody remembers you because you were like rare you're a rare find right a man (laughs) in sociology at trent yeah so everyone where there were tons and tons of females i don't even know what the ratio was especially in sociology but like very few right and sociology is such a small program it was at the time and female dominated in and of itself exactly so that's the thing like people remember i think you because you were like the token male in a lot of classes i bet you you were the only guy there were a few classes where i was the only guy or you look over at the other guy and you just kind of do a head nod like yep yeah i got your back you got mine cool yeah, so it's interesting, but Trent is just such an amazing place. I am so glad that I had that experience as well. Like, it's just such a great university. It's funny. I loved, I loved Trent as well. I had such a great time. And you mentioned the ratio, and that was one of the reasons that I told everybody I was going to go to Trent, you know, because I was that high school guy that always wanted love and couldn't find it because I was too much of a dork or too much Aww. of a sappy guy that says crap like this right now. Um, but I just, you know, I, I wasn't dating really. And then I was like, I'm going to go to Trent. It's seven to one ratio, seven to one. And that was for the school in and of itself. But then when you major in sociology, like you said, female dominated. Honestly, there were classes where the ratio was 15 to one, 20 to one. 
I believe it. I believe it. And those classes were small too, right? Like that's one of the things I love so much about that we had nice small little lectures and small little seminars after like not everyone has that no that was where the learning happened like I would read what I was supposed to read and then we would get together and you'd hear all all of how the readings could be connected because that's what the lecture was for kind of thing and then you get to your seminar and, or your workshop and then you'd have a chance to sit down and actually have a conversation to to digest it all and without the seminar piece I think that Trent would have been just the same as U of T, just with less people circulating the oxygen. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So that is so unique about that university. And I, I think that they're staying that way. I, th I think they're staying true to that style from what I can gather. They're kind of limited by the, like the buildings, like the, the Wenjack theater is big enough to hold what? 300 people. Yeah. Like that's, that's the biggest place on, on campus, I think. Right. So. Yeah. So I think that that makes it a very special place for sure is the size, the size in a, of itself. I've actually taken a few of my AQ courses through Trent, but so it doesn't I. have that Trent feel. Yeah. And I'm actually starting the principal's course. I'm going to go for it Good through Lake, through Lakehead, because in my situation, it's really hard. Um, sometimes like check all the boxes, but I checked all the boxes there. Um, Cause I still have to pay my OCT fees. You have to be a reputable international school will make sure that you're registered somewhere. So that's the thing about international teaching. I think some people just think it's teaching ESL or EAL and going to China to teach English, which is part of it. Some international teachers do that, but you mm -hmm. can also actually teach in a reputable school, reputable school, teach curriculum. Like the, it's just such a big, big, um, yeah, the possibilities are endless in terms of international teaching, but I had to be, I have to be certified through OCT. So I have to pay my fees. OCT, mm -hmm. Ontario College of Teachers for anyone. Yes, sorry. Know. No, it's yeah. all good. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I actually have a supervisor here that is a principal that's certified by OCT. So that's why I'm able to do it here, the principal qualification. Not saying that I want to do it. I don't want to be a principal yet, but I think it's good to have that in the well, back pocket, just in case. Anyone that is willing to try it, that's brave enough to, to take it on and uh, wants those responsibilities, I encourage it because we need strong leadership, right? You just, you need it. Exactly. Well, Jen, this has been a lot of fun for me. I don't want to speak for you, but it's been fun for me. Yeah, it's been good. Thank you so much. I now know a little bit about Malaysia. Malaysia, yeah. And I'll keep listening so you'll see your, your listener in Malaysia, of course. Uh, because the numbers of listenership has gone down, you are now actually 7% of my listenership. So. Oh, no. Oh, you'll get back up there, I'm sure. Yeah, see, that's that's the funny thing with numbers right there, because 7% sounds like a good thing, but it's because it's reflecting decreases. So that's not good for me. It's not good oh, for me. It'll happen. I think it's all about timing, too, right? Like, I was listening to your podcast when I was doing report cards. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think things are all about timing, when you put them out, how you put them out. How I put them out is maybe a, a lesson too, because when I started doing it, everything was very popular. And then I started putting a couple episodes out at a time and then it kind of slowed down. So I think I might've 
I might have killed it, uh, killed some of my own interests. I don't know. Oh, you'll figure it out. It's I'll it's all for fun. It's a it fun is all thing for, for you. Fun. It's a project. So, yeah, you'll figure out what works for you. Well, this really worked for me. Um, I hope it worked for you too, Jen. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. Okay, you take care of yourself and uh, stay in touch, please. Yes, will too. Bye. Bye. Well, that was a lot of fun and super informative for me. I hope that uh, you, the listener, if you made it the whole way through, that I, I hope you got something out of this too. Thanks again for listening. I'm sure I do this every time I even record something and say thank you, but really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have an idea for me to podcast about, or if you feel like joining me on a podcast, or if you just have comments or feedback, please send me an email to itsrickspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's itsrickspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. There's another one.